0: All right, people of God, we all right? Yes. Good, good. Let's get it popping. We got a lot to cover today. Um, Caleb, thank you for reading, bro. Um, and man, I, no cap, both gatherings, I actually started tearing up, uh, just hearing uh, scripture in different languages and being reminded of how our God is the God of the nations, uh, as we read in Korean in last one, and here in Croatian, uh, and just hearing just the the differences, even of where things are being emphasized in the scriptures. Like there's these different emphases that each culture kind of highlights about who God is. And even though I don't speak that language, I can hear where there's these kind of pauses or these these highlighting these different ideas. And even one of the weeks when somebody read, they said that in their language, they actually uh, would never read something this intimately uh, publicly. That these words they were meant for kind of private settings only between very intimate uh, partners and, and relationship and to read publicly is actually somewhat embarrassing. Furthermore, you would never use this language with an authority figure. And yet here we are talking about the authority of all authorities, God of the universe, where there's this intimacy and this connection that's had with God that made reading for her actually very strange in her language because you just don't do that publicly. And I love how different cultures are highlighting different things, all pointing us to the reality of who our God is. And I really kind of hope and pray throughout this series that we're getting different pictures and and understandings of our God that we may not have have really experienced before. And so thank you again for reading, bro. Uh, Super excited. And yeah, I I cried like four times last gathering, so I'm going to try to keep it together here, all right? Uh, So the text that we're focusing on today uh, from Psalm 23 is actually uh, all of verse 4, and it reads, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life and realize there's been spending most, I'm just kidding, all right? That ain't what it reads. But you know that's what I thought as soon as I saw it, all right? Psalm 23, verse 4, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Some of y'all looking up coolio, but let's get into the word, all right? (laughs) Now look, I did a 40-minute sermon last week on two verses, so what are we going to do when we have five lines within kind of this text here? Uh, I, y'all know, I told y'all before, and the church I grew up in, we started at 10, and we ended when the Holy Spirit said so. We got a lot to cover today, so let's dive in, because I know y'all want that, all right? Uh, we today are looking at God as our shepherd, and really how he is our deliverer and our comforter. That our God is a God of deliverance and our God is a God of comfort. He guides us, protects us, he comforts us, he leads us. Your God is a beautiful God that makes beautiful things out of us, even in the valley, hallelujah, Thank you, God, that even in the valley, He is here moving within us. As a quick reminder, uh, when we're thinking about healing in this kind of chaotic year, in this chaotic season, that's where we're trying to drive this series is, I man, how do we be healed? And maybe for some of us, we need to be healed in our minds and how we think about God and how we understand who God is in that sense. And for some of us, we need to be healed from wounds. And, and maybe they're even self-inflicted wounds like we talked about last week in a lot of ways and how can we be healed in that and other of us we need healing from the brokenness and the chaos of the world around us and the wounds that they caused really this series is meant to slow down and to focus on Christ as our shepherd and to see him rightly and to be healed by him because the world has reminded us a lot this past year of our brokenness and death and so let us remind ourselves of the author of life, amen? Let us remind ourselves of the goodness of who our God is here. So, while we will not rest in mourning very long today, we're just kind of touching it in and out. I want us to recognize the the intentionality of this psalm even towards our healing because I do want to empathize and sympathize with us very quickly before kind of chopping up this passage at large that our focus is that our focus is on healing and not necessarily mourning, though mourning mourning. Mourning is necessarily a part of healing. Y'all aren't with me already. Come on. You see, for some of us, we actually move too fast past pain and we do not take the time to rightly mourn, and this can be dangerous. For if we move too fast, we do not see what God was trying to do in the valley. And for some of us, we can actually rest in mourning and not be comforted by God's presence, and this too can be dangerous. And in this series, we want to think about healing and every aspect of that. And so while we won't rest in mourning long, we'll we'll touch on it in and out. For some of us, this is exactly where we need to be in this season in order to be healed is in a season of mourning. Because there's a season for everything, and mourning is one of them. You with me, saints? However, I do want to say too, we were not designed for the pit. And that God does want to heal us. And so if there is an exit out of mourning, we take it unless God is leading us into the valley on purpose because we were designed for the kingdom of God and community can help us traverse there. And so while we desire to be healed, and while some of us should be in seasons of mourning, we also know that we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, and in the kingdom of heaven, there are no more tears, so we want to see the kingdom represented on earth as best as possible, and healing is what guides us there. Whether we're healing in mourning or whether we are on a mountaintop, our God wants to produce a life in us. And we need to realize the reality of this. And this is the type of psalm that David was writing. So while we aren't focusing on mourning a ton, more on healing, I want to encourage you, family of God, that mourning is a godly thing. You see, Jesus, he weeps, Jesus wept, the scripture says, our God mourns the brokenness of the world and mourning shows us that this earth is not our home and brokenness and and mourning, it reminds us that we were made for more than what is right in front of us. And we were made for life and life eternal and when we feel the cut and the sting of death, it is reminding us that there is something greater before us. Mourning mourning serves a godly purpose, y'all. At the same time, we have the spirit of God and we should fight for joy. And so I want us to focus on healing without being insensitive to the reality or the godliness of mourning. Y'all tracking with me here, you feel me? Okay, and so with this, I want to remind us that David is not a man that is devoid of suffering that he has seen death more than most of us could ever imagine of multiple of his kids and of multiple of his friends and of family that is around him. He has been weighed down with the grief and the mourning of his own sin more than most of us could imagine. As he murders and commits adultery, he is weighed with all of this suffering. And yet at the end of his life, he is pointing us towards something beautiful. David is trying to teach us how to see through suffering to the other side and he's pointing towards healing in this passage. And so there's several things I want to look at as David carries us into the valley and chop up just several words here. The first word is that word even that he starts off with. Notice David says, look, even in the darkest places, even when things aren't peachy clean, like we were talking about the, the past few weeks, even when our plans fail, even when darkness comes, even when life is broken, and those seasons, verses one through three and verse five and six are still true, even though we don't feel it. In fact, I would encourage you, if you have your physical Bible, circle that word even, it's a powerful word, Do you love God, do you serve God, do you trust God even when, or do you love, serve, and trust God only if? See, only if things go our way, then we believe in God. No, 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 David says even in these moments, David knows something about our God that creates perseverance, he serves God even when, and I want that for us too, family. I want us to serve God even when. David says, even though I walk, he continues. The next word there. Notice, David is not standing or sitting in the valley. He is walking in the valley. In other words, God does not leave us in our darkest places. He may lead us through them, but he does not leave us in them. Our God moves amongst us if we choose to walk with God. It may be hard, and if we choose to walk with God, there may be pain, but you can believe that you are moving out of that, y'all. You are moving towards something beautiful. We have to believe that our God is guiding us to the other side, no matter what our situation is telling us now. Our God is good because he does guide us, look at the word, through the valley, And that word through has two ideas here. There's the word through, like I make it to the other side of it. And he also though takes us into it. Notice that it doesn't say we go around or over or by the valley, but through the valley. In other words, suffering does come and darkness is tasted. And at times it feels like you are making your bed there, but even through this, God is still God and God is still good. God has not changed just because the situation has changed. And even though David traverses into the valley, he fixes his eyes on the deliverance that is above for our God delivers. We have to know this about our God. Notice David then goes and he says that he will fear no evil. Evil still exists, he's just no longer afraid of it. Or look at the word death there. Death is still present, but now it's just the shadow of death, is what it says. That there's still evil and there's still death. That's why we see a shadow and shadows around us, for we are still in the world, but we do not need to fear it now, for it is just the shadow of it, no longer the substance of it. No, y'all ain't with me. Come on. Come on. It is now no longer the substance, but just the shadow of it, y'all. I know it don't always feel like that. Either the scriptures are lying to you, though, or our God is still God. And I believe that our God is still God, that even though we feel and, and the darkness can encroach and the weightiness is present and is there, it is only a shadow. You see, think about even Jesus' life. Jesus, he, he wept at the loss of his friend. So Jesus understands, not even personally, but even around him, what it means to suffer and to see brokenness. And I think that even if Jesus doesn't do the miracle of healing Lazarus there, he knows, as he tells Martha, that he will still do that miracle on the last day. And therefore, it is a shadow that is casting darkness over light that is necessarily present. Y'all tracking with that? Yeah, If you're a believer in Jesus, what I'm saying is seasons, they may be difficult, family, and seasons of suffering are going to come, but it is only the darkness that is casting a shadow over the light that is necessarily there for the shadow to be revealed in the first place. In other words, if it was pitch dark, you wouldn't see anything, but the fact that light is there is showing that God is delivering us in the midst of it. In other words, goodness and mercy are around the bend. This is how the psalm ends on purpose. We have to follow our shepherd's lead through it, though. It doesn't mean that it's not hard. It just means that when it's hard, God is still God. That when it's hard, he has not changed despite the deception that the shadows are casting to that reality. The shadows are creating an illusion, but the reality is still true that our God is God. Even think about the reality of this year. Like it was heavy, y'all, right? Like corporately, the entire globe experienced the same thing. None of us have ever lived through anything like that before. When there's wars, it normally impacts regions, and even big wars, it impacts lots of countries, but not the entire world. The entire world suffered, and then there was a lot of suffering for a lot of us personally. And so in the midst of all of this, all of us have probably suffered trauma to a very mild level, to like a really severe level. And we have to realize the reality of what we're stepping in in this season. I think about it for me, even this week, we had a meeting with uh, the ANN Campaign, which is an organization I get to serve with here in the city, and we were uh, meeting at Easy Tiger. And I rolled up to Easy Tiger, and there was like 150 people deep out there, and ain't none of them jokers have their mask on, Right now, listen. For the past year, I've been being told if you are around people, if you look at people, you hate them, and you're gonna die. Right, and for the whole year, that's what I've been being fed over and over and over. So I walked up in there and was like, Oh, oh, is this all right to like be here? I guess CDC says all right? So like, I'm just rolling up in there, and literally, my brain is shifting from something I was created to do to be around people, and I feel this like ah, wait a minute, moment at this time, right? Now, I know we don't think that's deep, but there's little moments that actually uh, impact the way I now interact with individuals, and then it was one thing after another, after another, on top of all of that. And then if trial or suffering personally approached your doorstep, it was that much more. And see, the trick with death is that death is the great tempter of divinity. Y'all hear that? Death is the great tempter of divinity. What I mean by this is that death is the great temptress that forces us to look at it rather than fixing our gaze on the deliverer. The temptress gets us to look towards something that seems to be more real than the reality of our God. And so we look to the waves and the winds while we're standing on the ocean waters versus the face of our beloved. But but he, death is not more real than our God. Our God already defeated that and we need to fix our gaze on something better. And when we gaze into the shadows versus grab a hold of his rod and his staff for our comfort, we can miss what God is doing amongst us and where he is leading us. And that can lead to our fracturing rather than our healing. Uh, Come on, y'all ain't with me. I think about it even like personally, right? Uh, Think about like little things. Have you ever done like team building things? Like uh, the staff team, we went and did this little team building exercise a couple of months ago. And uh, I'm not a big fan of team building things, all right? It's not that I don't like teams. I love the teams. But it feels like it's always really cheesy. And this one was. So they took these little blindfolds and they blindfolded us and they put us around this maze and this kind of course. And we each were blindfolded and we had to hold on to the shoulder of the person that was in front of us as a guide kind of led us through this maze. Now the problem was is that it was like outside in the woods and y'all already know how I felt about being outside in the woods. (laughs) And so here we are in the woods and then they said by the way be really careful because there's some low-hanging branches. Now I'm out here like, I already ain't got a lot to work with and you're going to slice my face open. And so here I am being super slow and really, really careful. And you have to, at that moment, listen to the voice of your God. That's the only thing you have to go off of. And what I'm saying is, is that I believe that God is still God. And I believe that God is still moving amongst us. The winds and the waves are just loud. We have to listen to the voice of our God above those things. That though it may feel like we're in a blind season because darkness is around us, that does not mean that God has changed at all. In fact, it may be in those moments that he's closer to you then than ever before. Our God is good. And if we listen to his voice, family of God, this is where we find healing. Notice even David's posture here. We continue in the text and he says, you are with me, David continues. This is what is leading to the lack of fear and toward the ability towards being able to make it out of the valley. Because see, the situation didn't change. The shadows and and death, it still exists, it's just the focus changed. You see, the focus went from the darkness of the shadows to the deliverance of the sovereign. The focus, it went from the, 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 the weightiness of suffering over onto the, the wonders of our sanctification. You see, faith tells us to focus our eyes on the right thing. And so the situation tends not to change, but our strength within the situation does. When we focus on our God, there's beauty in the midst of it. God is still God, even in the darkness, and it's also in the times of darkness that the richest wine tends to develop. You see, in these moments of suffering, it is where wine is so beautifully produced. That's not to minimize suffering, Right, That's not what David is doing here, is to point our eyes forward out of it so that we know where to go once it is over. I think that it is even in times of the valley that we forget exactly where we are, which is the valley. And we forget that in the valley we are traversing through it and that the valley always leads to the table of victory, This is how the psalm ends, meaning we do not stay in the valley forever, but when we're in the valley, it feels like we are in there forever, but the reality is is that God is leading us through it if we listen to his voice in the midst of it, y'all. I mean, come on, haven't y'all suffered? Like, I'm not the only one that has suffered in here. And as you look back in your life, you know and you realize that every time you look at those seasons of suffering, they were hard and traumatic. But if you clung fast to the staff of your shepherd, you were always better on the other end of it. And there is always this deliverance and this sanctification that created glory in your life and in the lives of people around you. Our God is still God, even though there is suffering all around us. We have to believe this reality. And also, it, also, it isn't bad in the valley either, always. Sometimes this is where the luscious grass, grass is. It is in the valley. It is where we grow most with God. And so in suffering, one of the things that happens is there's this intimacy with Christ that was created in those times because our Jesus is the ultimate sufferer and we tend to relate with him when we are suffering as well. Y'all tracking with that? Yeah. Uh, Think about it like this. Uh, A practical example. I think about even over this past year, uh, there was, for example, one of the seasons that kind of created some corporate suffering, but even things personally in my own life was when George Floyd was killed. And one of the things that happened in that season was I was feeling all of these emotions and there were things that were being produced from my own past and and different experiences where it felt really heavy. And I didn't know how to process that. And the people that were immediately around me, it was hard to process that with them for they were not experiencing it in the same way that I was. But then KC, who's one of our elders and, and, and on the worship team, he had a birthday and he actually invited several different black men to come with him uh, for his birthday party. And this was four or five days after his death and we just got to process with one another. And as we were processing and we were beginning to talk and me and him or Chris or whoever it was, there was this freedom because there felt like there was an understanding between us that we weren't experiencing in other places because we were suffering together. And what I want to tell you, family of God, is that in your suffering as well, there is an intimacy with Christ that draws you into closer connection with him because your Jesus is and was and will always be present with you in the suffering for he is the ultimate sufferer. Listen, God is not distant in the valley, family. God is with you in the midst of it for your God knows suffering. He willingly came into it that he might find you in the midst of it and relate to you, family. There's beauty in this, y'all. Your God loves you and he wants intimacy with you and we find it there in suffering often. He is able to meet us there because he went there for us and with us. He went there for us and with us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let me caveat real quick, because I want to move us toward healing and the reality of this valley that we might be in. And I don't want to give the wrong perspective here, because I know how this can sound, particularly if there's seasons of suffering and we're moving towards healing, but there needs to be mourning. And I want to reorient our minds toward the right thing. Okay. First of all, y'all, I want you to know it is okay to be afraid in the valley, I know David says he does not fear, and we'll get to that in a second, but it is okay to be afraid in the valley. That word there, by the way, the shadow of death, is probably better translated the deep darkness or the darkest valley. In fact, in all 18 references in the Bible, it's metaphorically written to highlight uh, this deep darkness always internally. So it's this internal despondency or gloom or feeling of despair or a physical fear of death that might not be there, but it feels like it's there. It's always this internal posture and this churning within us. So 2020, right? These are the lowest of lows for a lot of people, and it is okay to be afraid there. David isn't saying he's always confident. He's just saying that God is always God and he knows him. That he knows who his God is and he knows he's not going through this alone. Notice he says, he does not say that I feel no evil. He just says, I fear no evil. Y'all with me there? And he says, I will fear no evil. That word will is a very important word there. There's an intentionality of David's decision to trust God. He's not saying I don't fear. He's saying I will not fear. He's focusing on something greater, willing himself to the reality of verses five and six. There's an intentionality in David's perspective here, y'all. There's a willfulness towards the truthfulness about God, and so it's okay if it feels heavy or you feel afraid, but there also needs to be a a willingness towards the truth of who your God is. Secondly, just because we don't fear after we have right perspective about God doesn't mean that there's not real hurt, y'all. We ain't plastic Christians that put on a plastic smile face all the time. Y'all tracking with that? There are real scars, y'all, and there's often real weakness and real pain that needs to be recovered from, and I think that at times, some of us are tempted, as we said earlier, to move to joy too fast as if pain never existed, but pain changes things. Pain alters truths about our life. There are ripple effects of death. We do not just teleport from the valley to the mountain. We walk towards it, y'all, which means there's a process in the midst of it. Pain changes us. I think about even just a really silly or or simple example. I told y'all last week about my football injury that kind of ended my career path to the NFL because you know I was making it there. (laughs) Just kidding, (laughs) right? But I told you I got this injury, and essentially what happened was I like obliterated every ligament in my wrist, okay? And I was no longer able to uh, like squeeze toothpaste or, or turn a doorknob. I wasn't able to write, okay? I wasn't even able to run, because the pounding on the ground would send these vibrations into my wrist that hurt my wrist. And so I wasn't able to do anything with my wrist. And what happened was I slowly but surely began to recover. However, it did change things because my wrist never fully healed. And so to date, there's certain things I can't do. Like I I can't do push-ups fully because I can't turn this wrist back. Like I can turn this one. Or I can't pick up my kids in certain ways. Or when I'm hooping, I can't like follow through on my jump shot, which is why I'm only the fourth best hooper in the church instead of the first. God's grace to y'all. Just kidding. Right? What never happens though, y'all, what never happens is I never go, man, I really wish I never played. I really wish I never went into all that. I love that I played because it taught me so much about myself and gave me so many things that I'm using even now. It just altered the way I interact today. And so I saw God's hand guiding me through those seasons. I saw him actually rip something away from me that taught me how not to uh, have idolatry towards something on earth. And as he taught me that I was able to reproduce that over and over and over again in these other seasons, or he taught me positive things like leadership or confidence that I'm still using today. It's just that there's not the same uh, ability to function in certain ways because the wounding is still there. And if this is true of a silly physical analogy, how much more all of my emotional or spiritual scars and how much more your emotional and spiritual scars. There is a woundedness that does shape us and yet we know that God is moving in the midst of it because we also know that the suffering of today is always the glory of God tomorrow. It is always the glory of God tomorrow. It is for his namesake, as we read last week, that we move and live and breathe and have our being, and God has never left us or forsake us, but he interacts with us in the midst of it and always transforms it to his glory. What I'm saying, y'all, is that scars don't disappear, family. Often scars stay. Even Jesus had the scars after his resurrection. What scars do is they remind us of our deliverance and that God always uses it for his glory and the salvation of others. You see, Jesus' scars led to Thomas's faith, which may be the reason you are a Christian today. And your scars may lead to somebody else's faith, which may be the reason somebody's worshiping 2,000 years from now. God always works in that. That is what the truth of Scripture says. And David understands this, and he's able to fix his eyes on the reality of that. Our scars always point back to God's goodness and point others forward towards God's redemption if we stay with the shepherd in the valley. Don't miss that. Because some of us, we miss the shepherd's voice, and we get lost in the valley, and we really don't find a way out. You have to cling to the staff and cling to the voice of God in the valley Thirdly, I want you to know that you should hate the valley. Okay? David is not writing this like, even though I walked through the shallow death, yeah. That don't make no sense, y'all. Right? David is a man, like you and I are men and women, and he feels the same things that we feel. That is actually a strange way to see suffering, and unfortunately, that's how it's preached sometimes. Unfortunately, there's this understanding where it's like, yeah, like, no, 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 no. You were not made for this, family of God. You were not created by God to have the wounds and the scars that the world enacts on you and that your own sin enacts on you. You were created for the garden. You were created for intimacy. You were created for the mountaintop. You were created for eternity. And so when the suffering is around us, it is reminding us that we should desire this and therefore we should hate the suffering when it comes and desire to get up out of it because you were not made for it. We just know that even in the midst of it, God is still God and is able to take the broken things and create beauty out of it. That's where the truth is. And so we have to realize this. So as we're in the valley, how do we find healing in the midst of it? Well, David does this really beautiful thing. There's this poetic movement that David does throughout this psalm. And if you look at the psalm and the structure of it, you can probably see it in your physical Bibles if you have it. In verse one, he starts off with the the beauty of God. He starts us off on the mountaintop. And what happens is he slowly starts going down the mountain towards the valley. He talks about the grass and the waters, which is good, but not as good as our God. And he starts talking about the suffering that could incur and the sanctification. And all of a sudden he lands us in the valley in verse 4. But then after verse 4, he recatapults us up back out of the mountain onto an even greater mountain of eternity where we dwell with our God forever. And so David does this beautiful poetry where he starts at the top, traverses down, and lifts us back up. But there's something really significant and beautiful that happens in the middle of it. In verses one through three, David is talking about God, and in verses four through six, he switches and he starts talking to God. Verses one through three is the he, God, and verses four through six is the you, God. In the darkest times, are those the times where you find most intimacy with God? Are y'all with me? Do you find intimacy with God there? That's where he needs to be most personal family, not the least personal. That sentence makes me want to speak in tongues. Shoot. (laughs) Look, God, a lot of us, we feel like he leaves us when we're in the darkness rather than getting even more personal with God in the darkness. And we feel like God is distant rather than seeing how he's actually deeper in those moments, and we don't move towards God. We, we feel like this is God's uh, 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 you know, punishment, or, or he's no longer good, and so we start moving away rather than moving towards, and we look inward, and when we look inward, we miss his movements amongst us. David, as a, as a wise old shepherd, as an old king, as somebody who walked with God, was not tempted to do that, he found intimacy with God in the valley, He went from he to you. David's analogy was already a close analogy of God not just being a distant king, but a present shepherd. But he moves from an even closer analogy to not just a shepherd, but to you there in those moments. And in times of trials, do you move closer to the ever-present nearness of God? Friends, in times of trials, do you move closer to the ever-present nearness of God? God has always been close. The darkness is just trying to tempt you to look somewhere else. And in those moments is where we need to look towards God. Because in those moments, not only do we often find healing, we always find that God has never left us or forsaken us. Not only do we often find deliverance, we always find that our deliverer is still with us. And that he's present amongst us and he may be closer to you in that season than ever before. And so just because you can't see in the dark valley does not mean that your shepherd is far off. He may be even closer with you in those seasons, desiring intimacy if you but feel your way towards him. David begins at the peak of the mountain and goes into the valley before going back out onto the greater mountaintop on this song. And he gets intimate with God in the process. In your suffering is there intimacy, y'all. Here's the reality, I think, for a lot of us. Even as we come into a gathering like this, and as we start to move towards about to sing and, and worship in a few moments, the reality is that a lot of us have a hard time holding the tension of rejoicing and of sorrow at the same time. We believe that God can only interact with us in one of those seasons, whether than him being very present in both of them. And so we have a hard time following verses like Romans twelve fifteen, which says rejoice with those who rejoice and, and weep with those who weep. Listen, y'all, this is in the same verse, right? This is not separated by like 90 verses or something. This is happening at the same time in the gathering, and I know the reality of a room of of this size where some of us, we were ready to come in and dance and sing because we are in a season of blessing. Praise God, a few of you are even ready to talk during the sermon. Hallelujah. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> right? How do you, in those seasons, if you are in a season of mourning, actually have joy with your brother and sister? How do you actually rejoice with them because your mourning is not more valuable or important than their rejoicing? At the same time though, y'all, some of us are in seasons of suffering, and for those of us who are on the mountaintops and, and feeling full of joy, how do we enter into the brokenness with our brother and sister and help mend and mold and even just be present with them in the suffering that they might know just as God has not left them, we have not left them either, and just because we might be in joy, we are willing to enter into brokenness that they might remember the beauty and goodness of God in the midst of it both of these are able to happen at the same time because we both have the spirit of God inside of us and I believe this is part of the beauty of diversity not only is diversity beautiful ethnically or generationally or whatever it might be but even in seasons like this too because the mourner is able to remind the rejoicer that this life is not our home and the mourner often saves the rejoicer from earthly idolatry y'all tracking with that On the flip reality, the rejoicer is able to remind the mourner that this is not the end. That joy does come in the morning, not might, it does. And that God is delivering. See, David here, that's what he's getting at when he talks about the rod and the staff of his God. And in this idea, the rod, it protects from enemies and the staff, it it guides and it leads the sheep. So one beats away the bears and the wolves and the other leads the sheep towards the green pastures. What David is realizing is that in God's leading, in his discipline, in his protecting, that all of those things are God's hand and that God is comforting David in every one of those seasons, what I'm trying to show you, y'all, is that over and over and over and over and over again, David is intentionally focusing us on all of the movements of our God. He's fixing our face towards the glory of God, and the healing that can be found when there's intimacy with our King. In fact, I want you to think about even the Psalms and the way David wrote them. There's 150 Psalms, and do you know of the 150 Psalms, only two of the 150 end in mourning? Only two of them end on a downward trend. And of the Psalms, 42 of them are Psalms of lament, and yet still only two of them end in the valley because David is always fixing his face forward even when he's in the valley. And I'm telling y'all, David suffered, y'all. In other words, 4% of his psalms end in the valley because he's always pointing towards a greater truth than what the shadows are telling him in those moments. David is remembering the reality of God even in deep pains. In fact, that's why we do the gatherings the way we do. We always end on an upward note usually 95% of the time because we're reminding ourselves even though everything around us might be broken, God fixes it. That God is coming back and he will deliver us, y'all. And that doesn't mean that our situation changes, but we want our gaze to change in the midst of our situation. I told y'all, look, I told y'all, yes, hallelujah, shoot. I told y'all, right, growing up in the black church, this was one of the realities and one of the things I think we can be discipled by from that culture, where as we go in, there is all of this suffering that is happening throughout the week. And some of the suffering is because of the brokenness of the world around us. And some of it is because of the poverty that is being experienced, whether it's self-inflicted poverty or the poverty that society is pressed on. It doesn't really matter. There's all of this brokenness and fracturing and, and real suffering. And yet, when we enter those moments, there was always an uplifting rejoicing about who God is because even though suffering is present in the night, joy comes in the morning and there's a discipleship element that happens there that That fixes our face forward, y'all. This is what David is doing all throughout the Psalms. He's fixing our face forward towards something more. It does not mean there's not pain. It does not mean there's not mourning. It just means that we know our mourning isn't senseless. It's not the end. And we can point forward in the midst of it. That God is still God and he is still good. And so pain may be real. But for the Christian, the the, the death around us, it's only a shadow now. Let me say that again. Pain may be real, but for the Christian, death is only a shadow now. Family of God, the shadow of a dog cannot bite. The shadow of a sword cannot wound. The shadow of death has no more victory over you. There is no more ability for it to destroy you, y'all. Hallelujah. Listen, pain and fear and the effects of the fall and the necessity to mourn, do not mishear me. Those are true. But one of the ways that we heal in the midst of it is realizing that, that shadows are just that, shadows. Shadows. They are just shadows, and our shepherd has the rod that beats away the scary teeth that the shadow is producing, and he has never left us, and he has never forsaken us. Our God is good, and we have to believe that. And you find healing when you fix your eyes towards God, towards the shepherd, towards the, the, the God of the universe, towards the you. God, not just He, you, you, my God, are with me. You, my God, will not forsake me. You, my God, are present in the midst of all of this. And friends, we find this reality most fully in our beautiful shepherd, Jesus. It is why you do not have to fear when the darkest hell approaches. Even though the Egyptian army may come, God always delivers his people. You see, Jesus, he walked through the valley that he might walk with you in the midst of it and be a guide for you because he didn't stay dead in the valley. Hallelujah, Jesus. Jesus walked in the deepest valley, y'all, literally, walking towards Golgotha, which literally means the place of the skull, death. He walked towards death. And Jesus walked towards that mourning the whole time that you and I might not be left in our mourning, but might be delivered to the newness of life, even though death encroaches all around us. Even though we mourn the effects of sin, we know ultimately that Jesus took sin, and if we place our eyes on him, it delivers us forward, family of God. Even when it feels like our God has forsaken us, as Psalm 22 says, our God has never left us or forsaken us, for Jesus was the one that was forsaken for us on that tree that you might never be forsaken, family. Do you believe this in your soul? Listen, this is necessary for us to understand, Because even though Jesus was perfect, here he is, the king of the universe, with a flimsy reed stuck in his hand. Rather than the powerful staff that guides, he has a flimsy reed. And rather than him having the the rod and the staff of comfort, he is being led with ropes and a cross that he is carrying as he carries it on his way towards death. And as Jesus is being crucified, darkness covers the face of the land because Jesus was truly in the midst of the shadow of death. There was death all around as the Son of God was dying in that moment. And in the truest sense, Jesus did not deserve this, y'all. And the truest sense, our brokenness is part because of us and because of the world around us. Yet here comes Jesus, the perfect and the sinless one. You see, Jesus did not just walk through the valley. He walked into the valley intentionally. Jesus was not a man. He made himself a man that he might meet you in the midst of it and deliver you through it. Jesus' life, y'all, was the opposite of the Psalms of descent and of, of ascent, sorry, in every single way. Jesus went into the lowest of lows for us, literally going into hell itself, in the deepest of valleys that you and I might never traverse there. And now we believe that you, as David says, are with me. You will never leave me. God's goal, family of God, has always been to be with his people. And even though the world tries to fracture that reality, the truth still remains. In the garden, God walked with his people. Jesus was walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. At the Exodus, God was making his home with his people. And he was there present with them. Here in this psalm, David knows that God is with them. And then in comes the God-man, Jesus Christ, whose name was Emmanuel, which means God with us. David knows that God is with him because the reality is that God has always longed to be with his people. But then Jesus dies. And God is no longer with And in these three days of mourning, y'all, that is an eternity. For God to, to have this fracture at this moment, and yet we know that Jesus did not stay dead. And as Jesus resurrected and overcame death, he ends the Gospel of Matthew by saying he will never leave us or forsake us, that God is with us even till the end of the age, end of the book. God is with us always. That is the goal of God. So even in the midst of all of the valleys, I want you to know your God is with you and he's using it and he's trying to bring us up out of it and we have to fix our face on Jesus. As we fix our face on Jesus, the morning might last a nighttime and nighttime might feel like two decades, y'all, but the joy comes in the morning and this is what David focuses on and this is what he commands us in the scriptures to do. Fix your face on Jesus. He is a better deliverer and He will always deliver His people. Amen? Amen. I love you guys. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. God, thank you. God, looking back over my life, And over all the abuse that incurred, and over all the suffering that was present, and the near homelessness, and the poverty, and the the suffering, and just the woundings of culture, and of my own family, and of my own self, you never left me. (laughs) You never left me. God, I thank you that you do not leave us. That we can believe that. God, I pray over these men and women right now that they would believe that reality. In fact, Jesus, I pray for those who do not know you. Friends, there is death in rejecting God. only God has traversed into the valley of death and made it out. And if we want to exit death, it only comes from Jesus. But as we grab a hold of Jesus, we get life eternal. And so I pray if you do not know Jesus in the room, friend, I want you to know that your God desires to be with you. He is your God even though you may not have made yourself his yet, he has made himself yours. And as he has died, he has invited you into relationship with him. And I want you to know you can have that. That doesn't mean life is perfect, suffering might come, crosses might be carried, but glory is at the end. And God, I pray for all of us who have accepted you as God. I pray, Jesus, that we would believe that you do not leave us. God, I pray that we would work on fixing our eyes on you, that we would spend time in the word that we might see you, that we would spend time in prayer that we might hear from you, that we would spend time in community that we might see you present. Even right now, as we sing out the song that made me weep the whole first gathering, as I thought about the realities of who you are, I pray you would meet us in these moments Would we realize you are with us, you are with us, you are with us. God, you are with us. God, you are with us. God, would we be with you? Even in this moment, would we respond with singing and taste just a fragment of that reality? God, if we're on the mountaintop right now, would we rejoice in the reality that blessings are there and that you meet us in the midst of it and that you are delivering us. And if we are in the valley, God, I pray that we would find healing in this moment, that there would be these moments where we even hear your voice. As we sing all of Psalm 23 here in a minute, once again, I pray that we would receive the words. Would it wash over us and would there be healing in the midst of this? Jesus, we love you. God, I love you. In your precious name, amen.